Hi, everyone. Welcome to the seven day work week, the labor after labor podcast. This week, we're doing something kind of fun. We're talking about old wives tales related to pregnancy and a couple with like labor. So Liz, what kind of quote do you have for us this week? Um, so this is a quote from a doctor named Jonathan Schaefer's book. The book is called What to Believe When You're Expecting a New Look at Old Wives Tales in Pregnancy. And he starts out his book talking about kind of where this knowledge comes from. Um, and he writes, the idea that this information is being widely circulated without the aid of any official written directive is what earns them the term obstetrical folklore. Like other pieces of folklore, they are communicated orally throughout a community, often over the course of generations. Since it is mostly women who talk about them, they are sometimes referred to as old wives' tales, even though the sources are not necessarily old and not necessarily married. Um, So I thought this quote was so great because it locates kind of how this knowledge is circulated, you know, um, a lot of the knowledge that you get about pregnancy is official written knowledge that's um, in books that you read, um, uh, given to you from a doctor. So it's got that official stamp of knowledge because it's from a, a, a medical professional. Um, and yet there's this other side of pregnancy knowledge that is folklorish, that is just passed around from generation to generation. Um, and and it's somewhat true and somewhat not true, I think, as well. <laughs> Yes. What were you, why did you want to do, because this was Emily's idea to do the um, old wives tales one. What was kind of drawing you to it? I just thought it was fun. And I just love hearing all the like wacky things that, you know, your grandma may have told you or your mom. And it, you have to sit there and be like, okay, that's obviously wrong. But where the hell did that come from? Like, why mm-hmm. did that start somewhere? And like, spread that multiple people know mm-hmm. about it and they're like oh yeah I heard that one I heard that one and I I just kind of love the quote where it's just like it's not necessarily from an old person and it's not necessarily <laughs> someone who's married and that's true yeah <laughs> which yeah I don't know I don't know it's the whole term old wives tales is very interesting because it takes this knowledge that's like not official that's like kind of female shared knowledge and it makes it like kind of gross you know it's it's an old married bitch <laughs> with the old married right. bitch nose uh you know it's uh it's kind of undercuts it and what what I kept being surprised about was you know obviously there's so many of those old wives tales that you roll your eyes at and they're just like so obviously not true and I think they're just kind of past because they are entertaining mm-hmm. because they are yeah. fun but then there were some things that just had this kernel of truth in them when they were investigated that I was so surprised right. about and so it's like you know give Give the old wives tale some credit. Call it, I don't know, smart ladies information. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah, we have to change the old wives tales name because that's you're right. It's a little demeaning. And I just think of like yeah. a little witch in a house like, come yeah. here, let me tell you something about your pregnancy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's got like witchy. It's got witchy knowledge to it. Yes, totally. And some of them are too. Like there's this sort of like kind of magic happening yeah. or something in the way yeah. they are. Yeah. 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 I'll just kind of go down the list. So your first one was heartburn equals hairy baby. Okay. So do you think that that one is true or false? I think it's true. I had terrible heartburn. Charlie came out with a decent amount of hair, like more hair than I was expecting. Um, It all fell out, but I was like, okay, I had crazy. And I heard it all the time. 
everyone at work was like, oh, heartburn, you're going to have a hairy baby. Yeah, so that is actually true. So first of all, it's been said since Aristotle, okay? So the ancient Greeks wrote down um, that the, the peak of a woman's nausea started when the baby started to grow hair. Now, how they had any intuition that this was true, I cannot possibly tell you because obstetrical science in ancient Greece would not have allowed you this information uh, that I can understand. Um, It was also in the 17th century, midwives told um, women who had bad heartburn that they would have a hairy baby. Um, And this was always dismissed for years and years and years as um, just total folklore. No doctors would sort of laugh it off. But in uh, 2006, um, Johns Hopkins did a study where they asked women to rate their level of heartburn, and then they had women submit uh, photos of their baby's heads, and they had an independent person rank like the level of how much hair they had, mm-hmm. and they compared the high heartburn with the more hair, and it turned out, yes, um, there was an association with more hair and more heartburn. Yeah. And um, they, they haven't fully like tested why, but they're... Um, their, their hypothesis of why is that the hormone, um, there's a hormone that influences fetal hair growth. And that same hormone um, can also cause muscle relaxation in your sphincter muscle in your esophagus, so that the, the food that you've eaten is bubbling up. Yeah. Um, and so that's their hypothesis of why it hasn't been fully proven that that is the reason. Hmm. But there is a demonstrable correlation between hairy babies and more heartburn. That's so weird. That's yeah. so weird. Like, how you're right. How the hell would they know, oh, about this time, your baby should be great? Like, I can't imagine they had any knowledge of, like, when baby's hair would grow. Do you mean in ancient Greece? In ancient Greece, yeah. I, it's how- so mind-blowing. It is. And this this Jonathan Schaefer figure who wrote this book where I got almost all of my um, research for this episode... He says, you know, it's so strange because you would never Google um, ancient Greek cure for a headache or ancient Greeks opinions on an earache. Like that's not a thing. And yet so much of our pregnancy knowledge is rooted in what the ancients were writing down. Um, And it survives today. Like there's so much from the ancient world that is still appearing in today's old wives tales. Well, yeah. Well, like when we talked about um, gestational, like due dates and we talked mm-hmm. what was that episode three maybe episode four and mm-hmm. that's 100 percent based on ancient well i don't even know i know it had something to do with jesus like it wasn't yeah. even like what yeah Na- nagel's rule which nagel's says rule. It, it was that's how long the uh, uh baby jesus took and so the number of days that mary had baby jesus in the womb is is part of how we base the due date and it's been disproven. It's not the best number. And yet it's still the number you're given when you go to your OB. Yep. And you, yeah, that's the number. You count from your last period. And it's, I think, 281 days, something like that, if I remember correctly. That's just, it's so yeah. funny. Like, I, it just amazes me how these things travel and get passed down. And it's just like, okay, still common knowledge, but we're clearly disproving them. However, they're still coming up in regular conversation. Like, I don't. And yet. There's still little nuggets of truth in some of them. And that's what's so wild. And I don't know what what is so different about something like pregnancy knowledge that some of the stuff from the ancient times is right. Because it's you wouldn't 
you wouldn't at all, if you saw something about what Aristotle said about an earache on WebMD, you'd be like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But for some reason, we trust the ancients when it has to do with pregnancy. I don't know. I don't know. So I'm looking at your list. Um, You have here. Okay. So this is one of the ones that sort of inspired us to do this episode. This is something your grandma grandma um, told you. Um, So it's this uh, idea of don't raise your hands over your head when you're pregnant. Yes. Um, So I think that this has got to be false. You are correct. It is false. (laughs) So the whole thing behind it um, is... Okay, so let me back up. The story is my grandma, I was pregnant and I was doing something. I wasn't even doing much. And she's like, ooh, 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 put your arms down. Like she was really concerned. And she's like, my mom told me to never raise your hands above your head when you're pregnant. And I asked my mom about this and she had no idea what I was talking about. So the knowledge missed my mother and just went straight to me. So there's a generational (laughs) gap there. But the whole idea behind it is the concern that if you lift your head if you lift your arms above your head the baby's umbilical cord can wrap around its neck (laughs) so it has something to do with making sure that the baby can breathe um and that is 100 false because anyone who has been pregnant knows the baby flips like crazy yeah and wherever you put your arms or if you're upside down it does not matter your baby is constantly moving And I found it was just saying the truth is your movements have absolutely no effect on the umbilical cord. It's pretty common for the cord to be around a baby's neck when it's born Mm. and your OB can unwrap the baby's cord in a few maneuvers. Like, can so yeah, I couldn't find exactly where this came from or why this was something that was like passed around in my grandma's time, but yeah, absolutely false. There's nothing that says you cannot lift your arms, do yoga, work out, you know, anything like that. Like, but realistically, like, why wouldn't you, maybe it had something to do with like, mothers are supposed to be like relaxing and calm and not working. And, you know, like you're supposed to be this bundle of like tranquility. So doing any kind of labor or lifting your arms above your head was like cliche, like do not do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, um, to like, kind of piggyback off this one, one of the other ones we have on this list is this idea of exercise during pregnancy. And throughout history, there's been sort of like, don't exercise during pregnancy or exercise during pregnancy. And like, what is the accurate one? Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think that arm lifting thing came from. Generally, just this entire kind of directive for women to rest, Mm -hmm. that you're growing a baby, you need to rest. And what this author said was he thinks that a little bit It's women throughout history sort of putting this idea forward so that their partners or their moms or other people around them will get them stuff. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like, like, oh, I can't get up. If you could grab me something. Like, this is sort of his hypothesis. I love that. So I don't know if it's true, although I have to say, I think maybe there's a little bit of truth in that because I definitely leaned heavy on the I'm pregnant when you get Kudos. (laughs) Um, That's amazing. But, um, and so then studies have shown recently that it's perfectly, perfectly safe to exercise during pregnancy and lift your hands above your head, Mm -hmm. that all of this is good. Um, It shouldn't be excessive. It should be like moderate exercise. It also depends on how much you exercised before. You don't want to like suddenly start gaining weight from your pregnancy and then be like, oh, I'm going to start exercising for the first time. Like that's not healthy. Yeah. But light to moderate extra exercise is fine, except, um, 
if you've had a miscarriage in the past, actually, hmm. um, they say don't exercise hmm. um, because um, so there was a study with women who had miscarried two or more times um, and there was an association with them having to stand at work and having another miscarriage. Oh, so if you are if you ha- have a history of miscarriage and you have a job where you're on your feet all day, you should maybe talk to your employer or figure something out because there's an association with that on your feet. So there is some truth to it. If you are in that um, group of people, if you're in that risk factor, yeah. Yeah, If you are a a risk for miscarriage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was told again, I'm different, but I was told um, because I had the high blood pressure and I was on bed rest. Like my blood pressure didn't spike until like week 20, Mm -hmm. week 22 um maybe even later than that but I was even told my doctor was like don't put your heart rate above like 120 130 so like I'd be walking on the treadmill like staring at my apple watch like Mm -hmm. what's my heart rate you know um which is silly because my heart rate was like always high so I don't know I too heard that yeah don't exercise during your pregnancy but then lately I've been hearing a lot more like oh it makes recovery better and it's it's easier to get your body back when you exercise during pregnancy and all this stuff. So I like that. That's interesting. But I love, oh my God, I love where it's just like, ooh, I can't reach that bowl up there. Can you please grab it? <laughs> Can you please, uh, I can't reach it. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love it. So when you were, um, so did you exercise before you were told to kind of make sure you take it easy with your heart rate? Or- For a little bit. And then um, I just was getting uncomfortable and I was getting tired and I didn't want to do it anymore. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. for a little bit I was. And then I was just like, nah, I'm pregnant. I'm leaning into this hard. Give me food. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Because I was riding my bike. I was going on little bike rides around my Mm -hmm. neighborhood and I was really enjoying it. Like I would do it before lunch and I'd come back. And um I, you know, I was definitely showing like I was, it was probably month six. Um, you might hear the baby is crying. Oh, you're okay. Here you go. Yeah. Um, and so I said to my doctor, I said, you know, I've been bike riding. That's fine. Right. And she said, "Mm, yeah, no, stop that right now. And I was like, why? Like I wear a helmet and she was like, do you have a helmet for your belly? And I was like, okay, I see your point. She was like, listen, if you're a really, really good bike rider and you never fall, um, you know, that's one thing. I said, well, I am a really good bike rider. I've been riding my bike for a decade. I ride in the city. Like I said, I am a really good bike rider. (laughs) And she goes, didn't you um, get into a car accident in January and break your (laughs) finger in April? And I was like, oh, dang. Well, way to throw that in my face, doctor. Okay, I guess I see your point. I'm clumsy. And I guess I'm going to stop exercising because I've been warned now. Uh, so, so <laughs> Didn't you hurt your finger? I was like secretly thinking that. I wasn't going to say it, but I'm glad she said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was like, you're a clumsy ass bitch. And no, get off your fucking bike. Get a stationary bike if you want to do that. But no, you're not riding around your neighborhood. Uh, like all right well fine it's so funny (laughs) (sighs) okay is it my turn yeah 
You want to pick which one you want to do and I'll guess? So do you think more women go into labor during a full moon? No. No, I think that's false. So everything I've found is inconclusive. It's okay. not true and it's not false. That's so yeah, exactly. It's interesting. <laughs> Who I got this from hypothesized that um, a lot of these ideas of like the moon tides and being born under a full moon or a red moon or you know whatever had to do with like cultural ideas. So he says, people have thought a full moon is responsible for many things, bad or good, throughout time. So when babies were born in a full moon, it naturally became a reason rather than a normal time. So people would look to it and be like, oh, no, it's a full moon. That's why she went into labor, not it's her normal time to go into labor. Mm. Um, And then another person from uh, Duke Midwifery Service agreed And said, there are a lot of belief systems and cultures around the world linking the cycle of the moon to a woman's fertility. Mm. So it was more coincidental when, oh, all of a sudden there's this kind of moon and you went into labor, you know. Um, But an interesting thing I found kind of in the same article was talking about uh, meteorology and bariatric pressures effects on labor and delivery. So uh, in 2007... A study was published by the Archives of Gynecology and Obstetrics stating a casual relationship was noted between the number of rupture of fetal membranes, so going into labor, and delivery and barometric pressure, suggesting that a low barometric pressure induces rupture of fetal membrane in delivery. And is a low barometric pressure associated with a full moon? Storms. So like hurricanes, they were saying like hurricanes and strong storm systems. It's giving me the chills. (laughs) (laughs) Like um, apparently has some very minor correlation with going into labor. Um, He said along doctors and nurses, there's a strong belief that falling barometric pressure results in an increase of spontaneous rupture. Labor and delivery nurses believe this is effect from a weather. And then he kind of made a comment where it's like when it rains, it pours and it feels like every labor and delivery explodes, you know? So the full moon, they think, is more like a cultural thing, cultural coincidence. Like, you know, you may be conceived on this moon, so you'll deliver on this moon. Like there's a lot of cultural thing behind it. But there's actually like a small nugget of truth that storms may affect your water breaking. Really? Yeah. So on the Monday, I got induced on a Thursday. That Monday, there was a horrible storm and all the power was out in like much of Northwestern Illinois and Chicago. I wonder if I would have gone into labor that Monday. Maybe. Induced on Thursday. Maybe. And Hmm. what a time to do it when power's out everywhere. And it it was a terrible storm. It was terrible. It was awful, yeah. but I wouldn't, you know, the power was out at my house. And so instead of dealing with that, I'm sure the, the hospital had a backup generator. Oh, I would, sure would have been so. a great time. Would have been a great time. Yeah. Would have skipped that whole no power in the house problem that we had. That would have been great. So you did how you carry indicates the gender of the baby. So if you carry high versus if you carry low, one is a boy and one is a girl. I don't think that's true. Um, so it is not true. Okay. <laughs> um, it's not true. And actually, um, I found more stuff, although that's the one I hear more often. I found more stuff about right and left and like the derivation of all of this. So 
first of all, the author posited that the reason, and this is again, this Jonathan Schaefer doctor who wrote this book, um, he posited that the whole reason why these things persist is that it's great odds. Like it's 50-50, okay? It's not really going to be one or the other. Um, And so... It, you you get if you get it right on your great odds of 50 50 you get to sort of smugly be like oh yes i predicted that it would be a boy mm-hmm. um and it just sort of like adds to like you know older women in the family sort of like knowledge and their ability and all of this mm-hmm. um, oh, the old wives yes the old yeah. wives. And it, it does always seem to be older women in my life that were telling me what i was going to have and they were all wrong by the way um <laughs> but um so in antiquity since antiquity um, right, the right side of your body has been associated with boys because, um, more people in the population then as now are righties. And so the right side is associated with dexterousness and skill and being able. Um, mm. and the word left actually comes from the ancient word like sinestre, which is sinister. So there's kind of an evil undertone with the left. So of course it's female. Um, and, um, so that plays in all kinds of pregnancy stuff. It plays a lot with like also um, how to get pregnant or how to how to get the gender you want. So there, it was so powerful. Even I found that um, there's there was like ancient texts that would advise you to um, tie off your left testicle so that you would only, because they thought that the male sperm was in the right testicle and the female sperm was in the left testicle, which is totally false, okay? Could you imagine telling your husband, okay, we want a girl, so tie off your testicle. Yes. Okay, perfect, perfect. Yes. Um, But... um, and so, and then some even suggested cutting it off if you really wanted oh my a God. boy. I know, I know. But then there was like another text where this um, like French obstetrician was like, no, no, I heard of an Italian who only had one ball and he had both genders. So this can't be true. This can't <laughs> Stop be true. Yes. Stop uh, mutilating yourself. Yes. Um, so likewise, that carried into over over into the side that you were carrying on. So if you had kind of more of a bulge on your right side, they'd say it was a boy. And if you had more of a bulge on your left side, it was a girl. And likewise, there's one, it's like kind of a party game that still exists where you put your wedding ring on a chain and you dangle it in front of your belly. And so if it goes to the right side first, it's a boy. And if it goes to the left side first, it's a girl. And again, the, there's no truth to these whatsoever, but they're fun. And if you get it right, it's great odds and you get to be sort of smug um, in uh, in uh, what you've, in, in your guess. That's funny because I, as you were talking, I was like remembering Charlie was like from day one, my left side popped way more. Really? Right yeah. So that's kind of funny. But I think, again, I think that's just one, how I'm built. Like maybe my uterus goes to the left more and two, she was, sideways the whole time so maybe her head was on the mm-hmm. left or her butt was on, you know mm-hmm. like so but that's fun I mean I think a lot of these are just you're right like grandma sitting in the corner being like it's gonna be a girl mm-hmm. and then she gets it right and she's all excited yes yes so whenever someone says oh you're carrying high you're having a boy I should just completely disregard I think that's what it was someone said that to me they I was carrying high to begin with and they're like oh that's a boy and I was like hmm I know it's a girl, but I'm not telling anybody. So you're wrong. Oh, that's hilarious. So you knew they were wrong. Yeah, we did the genetic test like at, 
you know, 12 weeks or something. So we knew until we like released it to everybody, but yeah, they're like, oh, you're going to have a boy. It's like, baby. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no truth in the carrying high or carrying low either. Yeah, that's not true either, which I know because I read it way earlier, but I don't have the citation in front of me. But that's all also just false and games, fun and yep. games. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think a lot of this is just fun and games. Yeah. Um, so this was one that I think is just like so wonderfully awful. Um, you researched uh, this idea that you're having a girl um, because you're the, the baby has stolen the mother's beauty. Yep. Did you ever <laughs> hear that one? I did not hear that one, thank God, because I would have punched a bitch. Oh, I did. <laughs> That's so fucking rude. It's, I, yeah, it's just a nice way of saying you look like shit. Are you okay? Yeah, <laughs> like, I, yeah I heard that one at work. I, I can't believe someone said that to you. How dumb do you have to be to say that to a pregnant lady? I don't know. I also heard, oh, are you sure you're not caring for two a couple times? And it's like, nope, just fat. Thanks no, so thanks, much. Thanks a lot. Great. Thank you. Oh my thank God. You, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so the line, I'm sure you, many of you have heard it. Uh, baby girl steals the mother's beauty. Do you think that's true or false? I, I think it's false. Yeah. It's 100% false. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I found more information on like the pregnancy glow versus stealing mother's beauty. Um, but I think it both kind of like plays into each other. So the main thing behind like pregnancy glow or skin changes or anything like that is all hormones, of course. So um, with your hormones fluctuating, your skin can look more flushed. Um, you can, if you have like pre-existing skin conditions like eczema, rosacea, psoriasis, acne, the additional blood flow and hormones will just exasperate it. So if mm. you've got like bad acne, like hormonal acne or whatever, being pregnant is just going to make it blow up. Mm. So yeah, you might look a little, you might look a little crappy. Um, also the hormones will increase the oil on your skin and hair. So it'll make you look, you know, like a wet rat and greasy. <laughs> um, it can do heat rashes. Um, and what was the other one? It's just like increased blood flow. So it can make your, um, cheeks look redder and, um, really just look like puffy and, you know, just not the best. So I was trying to find information on whether if you're carrying a girl because it's a female, maybe you have more estrogen in your body or some kind of hormone, you know, mm -hmm. that would maybe bump this all up. And I couldn't find anything conclusive. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's the case. Maybe carrying a girl, you have a little more estrogen in your body and you're getting a little more acne or looking a little more tired, mm -hmm. but I couldn't find anything 100% conclusive about that. Someone should study that then. Scientists do yeah. a, do a, you know, a correlating study where it's like rating acne flare up and <laughs> then finding out if it's a boy or girl later and seeing if there's like more, you know what I mean? Could you imagine the casting call for that? Do you look like shit during yeah. your pregnancy? Please come in. We need to yeah. study you. Yeah. Give me a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> look at my greasy hair. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't find, like I said, I couldn't find anything like super conclusive saying like, yes, girls will make X, Y, and Z hormone, you know, jump through the roof, increasing acne or whatever. But yeah, um, I heard that multiple times and it only got worse when people found out it was a girl because then it was like, oh, you're not looking so hot. It's because you're having a girl. And it's like, 
okay. Uh, these people weren't raised right. I, I don't know. I, th- why would you ever say that to someone? Don't ever say that someone looks bad. It just makes them feel bad. And you telling Especially me when you're pregnant, and then you telling me, oh, it's a, like it's not like having a girl is my consolation prize for you telling me I look like shit. Don't tell me I look like shit. Tell me I look beautiful. Why? This is why they're called wives' tales because the pregnant women are trying to rebel against the old women that are making them feel like shit. That's why. So that's why we can't change it. Yep. Yep. I yeah. I remember that. And then, and then I remember sitting there and being like, you know, when is this pregnancy glow going to hit? I never got my pregnancy glow. Apparently, I got the other side of it. I got the. <laughs> you know what though? My acne wasn't bad. I think I just looked tired and I looked puffy. And I like I was retaining a lot of water, but uh, yeah. So if anyone ever says baby girl steals the mother's beauty, just punch him in the face. Like, uh. Uh-uh. And, and if you've heard that and you feel the urge to say it, don't. Yeah. Let's let let, let this one die. But yeah. Don't say it. That'd, that'd be a good one to die. Agree. <laughs> okay, going down. Um, do you want to do nausea equals girl? Yeah, so this um, is one that I had read about. Um, did you, did, so the idea is that if you have more nausea um, during your pregnancy, you're having a girl. Um, do you think that that is true or false? I'm going to go with false. Uh, so it is true. Really? It is actually true. Wow. Um, so, and I, this is another one that was really interesting because um Hippocrates, the ancient Greek physician, like the Hippocratic Oath is based on Hippocrates. Um, he noted that nausea was increased in pregnancy with daughters. Um, and uh, he wrote this in his book, Aphorisms, that women carrying a daughter were paler um, and they they had all of this really bad uh, nausea. Um, so stealing their mother's beauty. Right. right. Um so, you know, this has always been thought to be an old wives' tale, but um, in Sweden, um, a group of researchers did a study where they looked at a database of pregnancies over an eight-year period, um, and they found um, that even though there was, like, a totally normal distribution of among the births, um, so, like, 48.6% of them were um, uh, girls, 48.6% mm-hmm. of the births were girls, which is perfectly in the normal range, um, when you looked at just the women who were admitted to the hospital for severe nausea, it jumped up to 55.7% that were girls. And um, and there was another study that looked at this out of Washington State University. um, And they found that women who had to be hospitalized in the first three months of their pregnancy for severe nausea were 50% more likely to have a girl. Um, And that if the woman was so sick, she had to stay in the hospital for three days or more, it jumped even more. And it was 80% chance of having a girl. That's so, if, so weird. So if you have that bad, um, I think it's called like something like hyperemesis. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Um, where you have this really awful vomiting in your first trimester where you're just vomiting, 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 you're 80% more likely to have a girl. So still 20% that it'll be a boy, but odds are greatly increased that it's a girl. Um, and they don't really know why, um, but they suggest something with hormones. It's always the, it's hormones. Always we hormones. think it must have something to do with girl hormones versus boy hormones. Yep. Yeah. Huh. I had, did you have nausea? I had nausea. I didn't have vomiting. I was just on the verge. I was a little nauseous, like fried food turned my stomach, but I 
I can't, I never vomited once during my entire pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I, I wanted a girl, you know, I think it's maybe fucked up to say that, but mm. I did, I wanted a girl. And, um, so I was so devastated when I wasn't feeling nauseous. Cause I was like, no, it's going to be, you heard, I had, cause heard I had this heard part? this cause I had oh, heard this. Yeah. I didn't know like the scientific reasons of how true it was, but I had just heard in passing that nausea equals girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because I had no nausea, I was like, oh, I'm having a boy, which of course I would have been perfectly happy if it was a boy. I know that I, I, you know, having a baby is so joyful that it doesn't matter, but right. Um, yeah, no, it's okay. You're don't feel like shit. I wanted a boy and Mike wanted a girl and we got a girl and I'm <laughs> over the moon happy that we had yeah. a girl, but there was that little bit of pure, like after we found out that we were having a girl, I had to like kind of adjust my expectations. I was like, I don't know what to do with a girl. And now I don't, I, I want another girl. I can't fathom having a boy, really? you know, you just have to like adjust your expectation. Yeah. Yeah. I was mm. like forcing myself to look at cute nurseries for boys so that I could get myself used to the idea. To get jazzed up for a boy. Yes. Yes. I was like, oh, I'll do a woodland theme. Like Aww. I had all these ideas of what I was going to do because I needed to, which it's so, so, it's a superficial of a way, but like I, that was, that was working for me. And then, so when I found out I was a girl, I was like, oh, all right. Problem solved. Don't have to do the woodland thing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. Um, do you want to do another one, or do you want to go to me? Um, let's go to you. Okay. So craving sweets equals girl. Craving salty equals boy. Do you think that's true or false? I think that is false. Again, I'm going to say this one's kind of inconclusive. Like there might be a nugget of truth in there, but for the most part, it's false. Um, Everything that I was reading is things having to do with your cravings they believe are associated with deficiencies that your body is having, which I heard, but I was just kind of like, why? Like, I don't know. Why would I need more sugar? Yeah. Why would I need more sugar? So- Okay. For instance, if you are craving something like ice um, or non-food substances um, like dirt or clay, because apparently women 100% crave dirt, um, it's because their iron and zinc is low. Um, And that's called pica. pica, Yeah, I, I, I came across that too. It's wild. Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. So some people, and they were saying such as laundry starch, like don't eat laundry. Like don't eat these things. I, I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then another one, um, a shortage of magnesium can trigger cravings for chocolate. If you're lacking essential fatty acids, um, you can start craving red meat. Let's see. There's no uh, scientific explanation for food cravings. There's data saying that what a woman craves is related to something in her body or what her baby needs, but there's no data to actually support that the craving is correlated. So again, it's a lot of like, they don't really know. They have no clue. And I don't think they've put a lot of time and effort into studying it. Um, but no, I heard that a bunch of times. Like, oh, if you're craving meat, your iron's low. People said that to me my whole, because I've been a vegetarian since I was 15 years old. And so people would always, not only when I was pregnant, but like in the decade leading up to me being pregnant, be like, oh, but when you get pregnant, you're going to have meat. And I'd be like, I mean, maybe we'll see, but probably not. And I did not. 
Like Phoebe from Friends. Do you remember that one? <laughs> I, I know. I feel like it's from Phoebe from Friends because if you watched Friends, you know that Phoebe was a vegetarian and when she got pregnant with her brother's triplets, which is a hilarious <laughs> concept, um, she started eating meat because she was craving it. Yep. And so I think that that was a lot of where people got that from. Um, and like a coworker of mine said, you got to give that baby meat. And, you know, I said, I was maybe a little bit of an asshole, but I said, did you say this to our other coworker who doesn't eat meat for religious reasons? Did you say that to her or just to me? And, you know, there's lots of like cultures around the world that do not eat meat. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, they're fine. They're, they're perfectly fine. Uh, my iron also was fine. I kept asking throughout all my appointments. Uh, in fact, there was like one point they were like, usually your iron is higher than normal. And I was like, okay. So I had nothing. Getting your leafy greens in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do. I eat a lot of kale. So I thought of something while we were talking that I came across in my research, um, like this idea about if you do have a craving though, there, there's a lot of like ancient knowledge that says you shouldn't abstain from it. So like, if you're craving sugar, you should have it. And it's all related to that idea that we don't really have conclusive data on, but it's all related to that idea that it's what the baby wants. It's what the baby needs. So even in like rabbinical, uh, like Jewish texts that say, you know, of course, like, uh, you know, Orthodox Jews do not have uh, pork. It's not kosher. Um, but it, there's like notes in rabbinical texts that say, however, if a woman is pregnant, the fetus will be crave and the fetus craves pork, then it's for the good of the fetus. And so the woman can indulge. And so there's like, and it was, it was this idea that the fetus might die yeah. because the fetus is telling you what it needs. And so there was like that little exception right. for when you could have pork. Um, but it's all related to this idea of craving and what the fetus wants and give the fetus what it wants. Okay. So the next one, um, your milk production will be increased by drinking milk or beer. Bless you, baby girl. Uh, I know. Can you guys hear her? Yes, Smiley, you're good. Um, so, yeah, do you think this is true or false? I want to say the beer is true. I've heard the beer is true. I have never heard milk. Okay, so I fucked up and I didn't research milk. I only researched beer. Oh, okay, then forget um, milk. So, but you're right. The beer thing is true. Ah. Um, so what, um, uh, so first of all, um, it's, it's been recommended for, for a very long time. And in the early 1900s, beer companies would even market low alcohol beer to new mothers, mm -hmm. um, because it would help their, um, strength and cause you know, beer puts hair on your chest and it also would increase your milk production. Um, uh, and then further research that the practice may date back as far as ancient Egypt, um, because there's a citation in the Ebers papyrus, which is this ancient, um, you know, uh, Egyptian text uh -huh. that mentions a reed rubbed in sweet beer and then sucked on would improve a mother's milk supply. Mm. Um, and so this is very, this is old. Um, and then what someone said is, you know, in general throughout time, alcohol has been used as a cure for every element on the, under the sun. And the reason for that is often it takes your mind off of a problem. So if you have anxiety about something you know, um, and you drink a little bit, uh, it's suddenly not a problem anymore, um, which probably has some truth with like your psychological anxiety about producing milk. 
Um, but in terms of the actual like drinking of beer, so one study gave women alcohol and noted that um, it actually decreased milk production. Okay, so alcohol decreased milk production and it gave a weird taste to the milk. So a lot of the infants would refuse it. Um, however, when given beer, it stimulated the um, hormone prolactin, which stimulates milk production. Even in non-nursing women, it stimulates your 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 breast to produce milk. Um, and so then what they did in the study was they just gave um, barley and hops. Yeah. And so it turns out hops didn't do it, but barley did. Huh. Um, so it's the barley in beer. Um, so if you are having trouble, um, you can either have like just barley um, or have um, like a, no, a non-alcoholic beer that's brewed from barley. Um, but yeah, if it's a hoppy beer, it's not going to do anything for you. So yeah, it's not the alcohol, it's the barley. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting because I remember when I was breastfeeding, I was struggling to produce. So I was looking up everything under the sun. Like, what can I drink? What can I eat kind of thing? And yeah, beer and brewer's yeast was a big one that kept popping up like the actual yeast in the beer so i was like really putting it in it tastes disgusting mind you brewer's yeast um yeah but i was like putting it in smoothies and stuff did nothing so obviously i was should have gone with barley i went with the wrong ingredients (laughs) or i should have just had a beer (laughs) um okay next one so you have don't get your nails or hair done during pregnancy. Yes. Uh, do you think that's true or false? Well, I'm going to go with I hope it's true because I definitely did it. Uh, I mean, I hope it's false. I hope it's false. Yes. Okay. So it is, again, kind of like a maybe. It's okay. like a maybe. So um, the main thing that people think about when um, – Sorry, that's massages. Nails. Okay. The main thing people think about like is, um, or at least the thing that I always heard was don't get a pedicure because there's pressure points and it'll put you into labor. Um, And that is kind of true. Um, Hmm. It's very, like acupuncture isn't studied much. I don't feel, well, I mean, there is a lot of study in acupuncture, but I don't know how like conclusive it is because everything I was reading was kind of like, yeah, this may happen. Um, but again, it's one of those things where it's like, is it ethical to try to rub someone's pressure point to try to put them into labor? Like, you know, how would you even test that to get a conclusive answer? So mm. um, one thing, we'll go to pedicures and then we'll do manicures. But with pedicures, they were saying with acupuncture points, there's um, bladder 60 in your heel, spleen 6 in your lower calf. And bladder 67 in like by your outside pinky toe that could stimulate urine contraction. So in term um, can influence hormone response and blood flow to your uterus. So in that sense, it could jumpstart your labor. So they say anyone in the first 10 to 12 weeks, um, like early labor, and then the final four weeks, unless you like want to go into labor should possibly avoid rubbing those areas Hmm. or like getting a pedicure. Hmm. But then the other side of it is people um, were saying, no, treat yourself, get yourself a 
pedicure and a manicure because your feet are swollen and your back hurts and your hands hurt. And there's actually a pressure point in your hand um, in like the webbing between your thumb and your pointer finger um, that can also induce uh, labor. So, so when you so like this one right here, when, yeah, which you guys can't see, but like the webbing in between your fingers. When you were naming like bladder sixty seven, all those things. So it, does that mean that when you stimulate those muscles in those places in your feet and legs, that it stimulates your bladder, some part of your bladder? That's what I understand. Am I understanding? That's what it I'm understanding, but I could be totally wrong. I didn't do a ton of research on like what each like. If it says bladder 32 versus large intestine four, but that's what I can assume that if you're stimulating bladder 32, you're stimulating bladder contractions or bladder muscles. Um, yeah, I wonder what those numbers are, like if they're associated with a muscle, like because, you know, the muscles are. I have no clue. I can look into it more. I really I'm not sure about that. Um so that's the thing with pedicures and manicures. Also, I kind of did a little research on massage because I fell in a rabbit hole. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with massage. Um, a lot of people, it's 100% safe to get a massage if you're going to get a prenatal massage. And you're going to someone mm. who is specifically licensed to do prenatal massage. That's really important because one, a lot of people... Uh, prenatal massage will like completely avoid your feet and calves will completely avoid there's a pressure point in your low back um that they will avoid as well and they also like I got a prenatal massage they like prop you different like I never laid on my stomach obviously you can't so they like put you on a pillow you know um mm -hmm. but uh American Pregnancy Association says that women can begin massage at any point during pregnancy However, many prenatal massage therapists don't accept clients until the second trimester just because the first trimester is so um, known for miscarriage. And if you're mm -hmm. increasing blood flow through massage, it's tricky. You know, it's dangerous, maybe. Um, and then, of course, it just says anyone who has possibly high blood pressure, high-risk pregnancy, recent injury, organ transplant, anything like that, like, just check with your doctor before getting a massage. Mm -hmm. um, but pretty much everything I was saying is like, totally fine just as long as you go to someone who's licensed in massage but now i'm talking about massage let's go back to nails um the other thing that they were worried about with nails so like the pressure points of course but um infection they talked a lot about infection huh. because um you know if you cut your cuticle and you get a bacterial infection or a fungal infection uh, you know, that's not good. So um, they're talking about making sure that you're going someplace with like good hygiene, which you should do in general, people. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one was like exposure to chemicals. Um, so a lot of nail polish and nail polish remover contain VOCS or uh, volatile organic compounds. But apparently a lot of the VOCSs uh, <laughs> evaporate into the air. So as long as you're in like a well-ventilated area and you're not like smelling the nail polish mm -hmm. or the acrylic while it's being applied, there isn't any studies that show like it can be harmful. Hmm. So, I mean, again, pretty much everything. And same with uh, hairdressers. I don't know if one of us did research on that, but it's the same kind of idea. Like don't get your hair colored during pregnancy. Um, and it's a lot like with fumes and stuff. And if you're really concerned about the fumes, one, 
something I read that just because something's really stinky doesn't mean it's bad for you. So huh. throw that out. Um, cause a lot, they were saying a lot of these like BOCSs don't smell bad, but they can be dangerous. And a lot of the stinky ones aren't. Um, but anyway, if you're nervous, be in a high ventilated area. And if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. And, um, you know, especially with like nail polish and even hair dye, choose like a low toxic one. They have like pregnancy safe ones, uh, at least uh, nail polish they do. But again, um, yeah, it's safe. Just do it smart. Don't go somewhere kind of shady and don't be, you know, opening the bottle of nail polish and sniffing it. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. What did your, um, I remember you telling me what your hairdresser said about this. Yeah. So she said that, cause I brought it up and she said, uh, there wouldn't be hairdressers if you couldn't be around, uh, hair dye while you were pregnant because that's their job. They're around it all the time. And I don't remember anyone wearing like a mask or anything when they were like bleaching my hair. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just, it's kind of silly. I think there's a nugget of truth to it again. Like you just have to be aware like of your environment and don't be sniffing chemicals, but like it seems like a lot of this stuff just kind of evaporates and is perfectly safe. And I think probably um, there's gotta be some um, onus on any hair or nail employer to provide ventilation. Like that your building has to be somewhat properly ventilated if you're going to be having, I I just would imagine. I would assume so. There's got to be some kind of. I I wonder if there's like some sort of code for ventilation for like beauty salons that have chemicals. Like in general that you shouldn't be like, there should be ventilation. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I have no idea. Comment below if you know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, okay, where's our list? Um, next one, eating for two, is it true or false? So, it's false. You you don't get to eat for two. But I'd like to eat for two. I know, I know. So, they, I know, I know, it's rude. As you know from our, you know, our ode to being unhealthy in the Bodies After baby, Babies episode, we obviously want to be told that we can eat for two, um, yep. but you can't. Um, so according to the baby center, um, your body gets, when you are pregnant, your body gets super efficient at absorbing nutrients. So it's not like you need to eat extra because your body just knows to be better about getting the most out of what you are eating. Um, and in the third trimester, they suggest you increase um, your food intake by 450 calories, which is nothing. 450 calories is like a handful of nuts and a banana and you've hit yeah. 450 calories. So it's not, it's, it's very little. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's not true. However, I did find some just like interesting food stuff that I thought would be fun to share, like how food and to, and like your baby relate. So first of all, this, a coworker told me this story. And so I just wanted to share it because I thought it was a fun story. And I think also just, it plays into this whole idea that part of the lore of old wives tales is they're fun. And when they do work, it's just such a great story that you want to keep telling it. And that's, I think yeah. what gives these, these, the, the, um, the mobility they have. So my coworker told me that when she worked in an office, when she was pregnant with her second son and they 
um, she was like told to go out. She, it was like her turn to go out on the lunch run and she went to Subway to get everyone's sandwiches and she could not stand to be in there. The second she walked in, the smell made her totally sick. She could not stand it. And she was like, do not ever send me there again. Someone else go. I cannot stand the smell of the Subway. Mm-hmm. And then like seven years later, her and her son walk into a subway and he's like, oh my God, I cannot stand the smell of this place. It no. is disgusting. Mommy, I'm waiting outside. Like, don't make me go in there. She was like, oh my God, I couldn't stand the smell of this place either when I was pregnant with you. That's so weird. So, I don't have any idea. Just me. I don't have no idea if they're related. I, you couldn't possibly devise a test that could prove they were related that I can imagine. It's just an anecdotal great story. But of course, According to her, when she when he was in utero, she could not stand Subway. And he also, as a child, came out like, no, nah, Subway is not my thing. <laughs> That's so weird. I know. I know. Huh. Um, so uh, there's like, there's some, so there's all this like weird stuff with food. So like this one I thought was so ridiculous, but it was this idea that um, temperament and food is related. So like if you eat sweet foods and you crave sweet foods, you're going to have a sweet baby, which Mm-mm. seems totally nonsense. Mm-mm. But well, listen to this. There was a Finnish study that surveyed women who had just given birth and asked how frequently they ate chocolate during the nine months of their pregnancy. Um, and then six months later, all these women were given a survey to rate the disposition of their child and say how often they did things like laugh or cry. And it turns out that the babies of the mothers who consumed chocolate daily during pregnancy had more smiley, easily soothed babies than the ones who abstained from chocolate. Hmm. So now they say, now here's the caveats with this and saying like eating sweet foods equals sweet baby. Cause it seems fucking ridiculous. They yeah. said, you know, it's possible that people who indulge in chocolate are just more kind of indulgent people generally. And they um, are less easily stressed. You know, like there's the kind of person who would be like, no, I'm absolutely not having chocolate. You can like kind of imagine that personality type versus someone who's like, eh, I have some chocolate. Um, And so that they can sort of perceive their babies as more smiley and more laughy and all of that. And of course, all babies cry, but maybe they sort of minimize that in their mind and like maximize the smiley stuff. Um, Also, though, however, the, the maybe nugget of truth to it is there's lots of scientists that have studied the chemicals in chocolate and have pointed out that it has lots of mood elevating properties. So that maybe indeed chocolate in particular, not any kind of sweet, but chocolate has all of these um, make you happy endorphin things that maybe would produce a happier baby. Mm. So when you're eating for two, maybe you're creating a more, you know, a less temperamental child. Maybe eat some chocolate. Eat some chocolate. Eat so chocolate and then, anyways, <laughs> feel free to eat some chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Bottom line, eat some chocolate. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, this is like, this one's ridiculous, but I just thought it was funny. But um, this is another like related to that idea of giving into fetal desire um, because there's like an old wives tale that if you don't give into fe- into your cravings during pregnancy, your child will be born with a birthmark that looks like the thing you were craving. 
Um, so there's like all these accounts of women who are not having strawberries and then their babies came out with strawberry birthmarks, strawberry shaped birthmarks. Yeah. And um, another one that was like, oh, I had a port wine stain because I wanted to have booze and I didn't have it. And, um, you know, this um, 17th century French obstetrician that I've mentioned before, he's he like wrote a lot. So a lot of like kind of. Um, older texts are from him. Um, he said that he thought that that Port Weinstein thing was just women trying to cover the fact that they wanted to do to booze during their pregnancy. And um, so this whole old wives tale was related to allowing you to indulge and get drunk uh, when you wanted to. Yeah. And just throwing back to the top of the hour, I can't reach the thing on the top shelf. Can you get it mm -hmm. for me? It's all a ploy, yes. guys. We all... We're all just shifting pregnancy and making it just a little more enjoyable for ourselves. Because we're clever. Because we're crafty, clever witches. <laughs> Speaking of witches, you want to do the last one? Yeah. What's our last one? Uh, that cats suck babies' breaths away. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, what did you find? This was one, by the way, that I heard from family members because I have a cat. And so I was like, you're getting rid of the cat, right? Yep. I heard the same thing. Yeah, I have three cats and it's like, uh, no. So I just thought this was so interesting. Um, two, this is false. 100% false. Cats are 100% okay and safe to be around babies. The concern with cats is um, they can jump into things and they're very cuddly and they like warmth and heat and comfort and coziness. So, you know, they can jump into a bassinet or a crib or a swing and cuddle a baby. So there's kind of like the one aspect of it of like, they said cats love milk and are drawn to the smell of baby's milky breath. Mm. Um, and if supposedly, which is 100% true, you, you can back me up on this. Supposedly, cats get extremely jealous when babies usurp your attention away from them. Um, well, a cat could accidentally suffocate a sleeping baby by cozying up too close to its face. Experts agree it's highly unlikely. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of the like modern day science behind it, but this is like the best thing I found during my research. So there's an entry, January 25th, 1791. A child of 18 months old was found dead near Plymouth and it appeared on the coroner's inquest that the child died in consequence of a cat sucking its breath, thereby, um, thereby occasioning mm -hmm. a strangulation. <sighs> Coroner knows best, but is it true? Adding to his report is the fact that cats have long been associated with witches. So if parents or coroners found an infant dead and a cat was nearby, the cat was automatically blamed and witchcraft was questioned. <laughs> so obviously factually true in every way. Absolutely. The coroner wow. said so. Wow. Coroner knows yep. best. Was there a cat nearby? All right. Done. Witch. Death by witch and cat sucking. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow. Yep. And realistically, you know, unfortunate, like SIDS is a thing, you know, and it babies die and it's horribly sad. But to just say like, oh, there was a cat over there. Did you see that cat? It was a witch. Yeah. The baby's and it really speaks to the whole existence of sort of witches and old wives tales in general. It's like, if you can't, if in 1791, you don't have the medical capability to explain a phenomena, 
There yeah. is um, often, you know, like kind of things are causally related afterward and they just go, okay, well, there was a cat there. I've heard this before. Therefore, let's, let's ascribe a causal relationship and that's not really there. Um, yeah. There was one earlier you said that I was thinking of that. I don't know. Oh, like the labor and the full moon where it's like they are the, the, the storms where it's like they just yeah. sort of they see that it's happening at the same time. So they go, OK, well, maybe it does cause it. But, you know, yeah. correlation does not equal causation just because there's storms doesn't mean that that's why people are going into labor. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, yep. that's and just a problem. with like science or um, folklore, I suppose, more. Generally. Yeah. Yeah. But can you can you speak to the fact that uh, cats get extremely jealous when babies usurp your attention? Oh, my God. My little kitty, <laughs> Albie, is so bummed. Like, first of all, he never cuddles with me anymore. He used to just, like, be all over me and always put his little head under my neck when I was sleeping and just, like, sit on me. And now he just, like, ignores me and goes to my husband. He... um, We have, like, so many goofy pictures where, like, I'm breastfeeding and the cat is, like on the headboard above just like watching and, or like I'm sitting in a, a chair and I'm holding the baby and the cat like jumps on my lap and is like what do you think you're doing like what about me I need the attention yes and he just he's just seems more standoffish I will say though that I don't know why he's very wary of the baby like he doesn't get too close to the baby I think he's a little scared by her um, and he's also always been scared of like other cats or dogs. He just, he's not, he doesn't know what to think about it. So he's like never jumped in the bassinet once. I even like look at the bassinet for cat hair, which any cat owner knows that if an animal sleeps for any period of time, it, there's gonna, they're going to leave a trace. And I've never yeah. seen cat hair in the bassinet. So, so far we've had no issues whatsoever. Um, did you come across anything about toxoplasmosis in your research no i just strictly once i found the the witch thing i just grabbed onto that yeah. but that's a thing too yes 100 percent. Right. because there's truth in that right like there's um uh, a bacteria in um cat feces um that could cause toxoplasmosis which is um, some sort of i don't really know what it does but it's bad in pregnant women um and also when you're nursing you're not supposed to be near it so you're oh. supposed to um, have someone else in the family take care of the litter box, which is another one of those I've been milking as long as humanly possible um, mm -hmm. because no one likes to clean the litter box. Let's be real. No. 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 All right. I think that's all. of. Did you have any more? Were there any more? Did I miss one? Um, the only other one I had was this um, urine being related to a gender reveal. Oh, yeah. Um which uh, the the most popular one was this idea of peeing into a cup of Drano. Um, do you think that that's true? I'm going to say, why Drano? False? false? I don't know. It's false. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so the idea was that um, if it there was a green hue, it was a male. And if it was a brown or amber hue, it was a female. Um, and then the the... Researchers said they don't even really know where this came from. It can't be that old because Drano wasn't invented until 1923. Um, bless you. Bless you. Um, but it's so well publicized that in 1982, um, a physician in Wyoming did a test that he published in the Journal of American Medical Association. And he found that it was just as correct in predicting a boy or a girl as when you flip a coin. So in other words, 
50-50, which again, it's yeah. these odds are so good uh, <laughs> yeah. that it's like, well, why not? Why not ascribe something yeah. to it? Um, and then they asked um, uh, Drano, the, the S.E. Johnson company, um, like they called and said, you know, do you have any idea where this came from? They said, I have no idea, but officially Drano's line is, please do not um, use our product to reveal gender because we have some dangerous chemicals in there that we don't need you um, peeing, peeing into. into and then, you know, sticking your snout into. So uh, please just get us get us out of this whole old wives tale. S.C. Johnson wants nothing to do with it. Um, yes. See, and I'm glad because I was concerned you were going to say back in the 80s, Drano jumped on this trend and used it in a marketing. No, you know. because they were too yeah. worried about the liability. They're like, don't let us have anything to do with pregnant <laughs> yeah. women and our dangerous noxious chemical. D- nothing. Warning. Uh, um, warning, don't pee into Drano. Yeah. Um, and, and the one last thing I wanted to share was this French obstetrician Marico guy said, with all this gender reveal stuff, if you're a doctor... And they asked you, and this is, of course, before they had the capability. This was in the 17th century. So it was before they had the capability to tell. Um, You know, he said, ask the couple what they want. He said, this is the best advice. Ask the couple what they want. If they want a boy, tell them it's going to be a girl. Because if you're right, you look like a genius. And if you're wrong, they're too happy to remember or care. So that's what you should do as a doctor. You should tell them that they're going to have the opposite of what they want. (laughs) That was funny. I love that. Yeah. So yeah, did you have any other interesting stuff you wanted to share? You're good? No, I think that was it. We have like a longer list. So if you liked this, let us know and we'll do this again. Because this was just, it's just fun. It's just fun to look these things up and be like, where the hell did this come from? Like, why did people ever think this? So yeah, if you like this, let us know and we'll do it again. Because I enjoy doing the research for this one. Me too. Yeah. Okay. Um, so again, thank you so much for listening. We're on Twitter and Instagram at uh, the seven day work week pod. And we're also on all platforms for podcasts. Just search the seven day work week and we should pop up. So thanks so much for listening, guys. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.